hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back, hockey fans. Welcome back, music fans. Bar Down Breakdown here, giving you the real real. We're super stoked to be back with you with episode number 99. And we figured uh, we'd change up our, our intro format a little bit, just because uh, me and Mikey have a um, proclivity, as they say, for going on and on. Whoa, look just because we're, we're so passionate about all things hockey and music. But we figured we'd uh, retool these intros and we're going to call this Scenes from the Box. And what we're going to do is every intro, we're going to pick a topic, and me and Mikey are going to chat about it for two minutes. Two minutes is good because, you know, you can actually live what it's like to be in the penalty box by listening to Mikey and I bullshit and spew our opinions at you. And that's probably about how bad it is to be in a penalty <laughs> box. Wouldn't you agree? I, I I definitely agree. Being in the penalty <laughs> box is, is a sad and lonely feeling. I've done it in like men's league hockey, <laughs> and it is very sad and lonely. Sad and lonely. Two sad and lonely boys. So uh, without further ado, uh, Mikey, why don't, you, why don't you pick a topic for us? All right, let's go Barzy signing a three-year uh, bridge deal. Because that's a that's a good one. You were you were in panic mode, so let's talk it. All right, I hit play. Let's do it. So I was in panic mode, and uh, I think a lot of Islander fans were because you know the the you know, season was fast approaching, and uh, you know there was no news to be found. Uh, but luckily, uh, you know, a couple of days, you know, before the season, he shows up on the camp roster and which is pretty much all but telling that uh, deal was done and they signed the deal and good bridge deal to get us to where we need to go. Uh, you know, hopefully after Barzi, you know, again, proves that he's worth the nine or 10 million that he's going to be looking for. Uh, I'm sure we'll give it to him after that. What do you think? Honestly, it's a win-win situation. He's got a little stability, you know, he's, Making seven, you know, it comes out to be like seven, seven and a half million per year. Like, he's 20 something years old. Like, he doesn't need that much more money than that to begin with. (laughs) That's true. He's going to be comfortable. He's on a team that has one of the best locker rooms in the NHL. And then, you know, he he proves himself and and plays his ass off these three years, and he's going to get paid like big time money. And the Islanders are going to give it to him. They're gonna. It's gonna be a whole different situation in three years. So glad we can stop talking about that because I'm sure <laughs> every fan of every team in the NHL was like, "Yo, are we gonna get Barzy?" And it's just like, no. Like that's the way Lou Lamorello runs runs his ship. It's yep. he's tight lipped. He doesn't give any teasers out, and <laughs> we got Barzy for three more years. Yep, and I mean, there's you know, like there's all. There's nothing bad you could say about that. You know, the, the, the kid is fantastic. He's a phenom. Um, you know, this episode will be dropping a little bit later, but, you know, this is the debut of the Islanders and he's already scored a goal. So stoked to have him, love to have him. And, uh, you know, putting a competitive team on the ice is going to be a great thing. And I think the Islanders uh, 
have a great season to look ahead of. And that's our two minutes. So, ladies and gentlemen, that was Scenes from the Box. We're going to be doing that with every intro just to keep you guys, uh, you know, entertained but not sleepy because, you know, I know I have a very soothing voice and I get it. I get that you want to be soothed to sleep by my voice, but we're not going to give that to you. It's fast-paced action. And on that note, we've got an awesome guest. Uh, episode number 99, it's the Gretzky episode, and it is not Wayne Gretzky. We weren't able to get him. Uh, his people uh, said that he was busy today. So uh, we have our homie Scott from uh, Cryptodira, a great Long Island uh, progressive metal band. Uh, super awesome interview that we're going to have uh, coming up with him, talking all things hockey, music, and, uh, you know, doing what we do. So uh, without further ado, let's lead you right into it. Scott, episode 99. The great one, Gretzky, let's do it. Episode number 99. It's the Gretzky episode. It's one-on-one with the great one. That's uh, that's The Rock, just so you know, because I love The Rock. Mikey hates wrestling, but I love wrestling, but that's okay. We're here with our boy Scott from Cryptodira. Awesome band uh, out, of, uh, out of Long Island. We're super stoked to have you, man. What's going on, bud? What's up, guys? I'm, I'm having a great day. Hockey's back. The Islanders are playing, and they're doing well. Yes, sir. Hell I mean, yeah. that's all you can... All you can hope for. Um, obviously, when, when this episode drops, we'll be uh, right now, it's the 14th, but this episode will drop, I think, on, uh, what is it, the 19th, right? That sounds good, Tom. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, great. So, um, you know, we'll be far removed from what, uh, you know, I don't want to call it yet, but uh, as of right now, all three of us are sitting watching this Islander game and we are have the game steadily in hand, which feels great because we are playing the Rangers. And I have a lot of friends that are Ranger fans that are sitting at home, probably super pissed. And that makes me feel good. And right now, so I'm into it. it's the future and it's the 19th. And some Rangers fan is listening to this and going, those stupid assholes have no idea what's about to happen in the second <laughs> third period. Yep, that's that's exactly what they're saying. Yeah, they're like, oh, look at these guys. The Rangers are going to end up winning 13 to 3. Yeah. My sure God. 13 to 3 is absolutely what I'm putting my money on. So <laughs> Honestly, the, like, if this was the Islanders five years ago, I would believe that. 
But this yeah. is this yeah. is the yeah. Barry Trotz New York Islanders, and usually when we just get to three goals, like the percentage of us winning is like ridiculous. So I feel yeah. good. Yeah, for sure. I feel good. yeah. It's a it's it's all it's all good stuff. I mean, we're super stoked that you know hockey's back. I mean, it's it's great, great to see. Um, you know, we're we have the divisions realigned, and it's going to be a little bit different than usual. You know, we're going to be playing a lot of the same teams a lot, but good thing about that is I think it's going to develop rivalries at a much more frenetic pace. Uh, you know, even you know, looking at tonight's you know the game that, that we're we're experiencing now with the Rangers. You know, over the past couple of years, you know, with the Rangers not really being contenders and the Islanders being contenders, which is strange to say. I would love to say it, but it's strange to say. But that kind of the flames of that rivalry sort of started to get less stoked. But now that we're playing each other eight times, I think it's going to be uh, be good for, for hockey and especially not just the Rangers, but the rivalry with the Devils, the Flyers, the Penguins, the Capitals. It's all going to get stoked. And I love that. Yeah, I, I honestly. Like, and even though the Islanders have been the better team for a couple of years now, there's still this weird, like, like shadow over them, at least with like NHL pundits or whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. And there's this immediate excitement around the Rangers with the, with the draft lottery and obviously some like success last year and everything mm-hmm. where I'm even seeing some people sort of already put them back in that same conversation, whether that's fair or not. But I, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's going to definitely ramp up this year for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, I think the other cool thing about, you know, you're talking about the, uh, you know, all of those um, kind of experts, you know, that are always talking about the Islanders and they did it last year and saying that the Capitals were just going to run us over. You know, I, I remember watching pregames and everyone was like, yeah, you know, caps and caps and four caps and five and you know and then before you knew it you know we were we were the the stronghold team and then all of a sudden everyone picked the islanders to beat the flyers so just kind of funny how that works <laughs> but um i, I love oh, it man I, give give us all the adversity man i'll take it yeah i i'd always prefer to be that team than the one who's got all the pressure on them so you know what i i would i would love to be the team that shouldn't win all the way to a stanley cup i have no problem being that team and I think we'll always be that team, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no it, one. It would take another dynasty to reverse that, like a modern era. Like, that's really, I think the only thing that would even remotely kind of reverse that would be like a Blackhawk style thing. But, you know, that's, that's hard to come by in a modern NHL. Sure is. So, Scott, I want to jump right into it. And I kind of want to hear some of your background growing up on Long Island in the, you know, the, hardcore scene or metal scene or whatever you want to call it scene um where whereabouts on long island are you so my whole band is from like i guess most people will call like out east we don't consider it out east but we're in like we are from mount sinai which is like right next to port jeff which i think is more like a larger landmark for people um like mm-hmm. port jeff our place rocky point mount sinai so we're like we're pretty far out there on the north shore and uh so we we're kind of removed from the scene we were really just like a bunch of gigantic prog nerds because mike's dad got us in a dream theater when we were kids and like we grew up like in the same high school uh, middle school and stuff and actually elementary school really i've known i i've known matt our drummer since we were six years old so we're 27 and 28 now mike i've known our guitar players since we were about 10 years old so we've just been friends for way too long 
So we kind of grew up on like the same classic rock and that kind of stuff and punk rock and then new metal and whatever else was popular at the time. But then Mike's dad just like screwed us up by giving Mike a Dream Theater CD. It was Dream <laughs> Theater's train of thought. And then he gave that to all of us. And we were like, dude, these long songs. The dudes are absolutely ripping. Everyone in the band knows how to play their instrument. Like this is mm-hmm. not, this is no longer like the glamorous sort of like, you know, I don't know, singer and guitar player music. This is suddenly everybody music. Everybody in the band is like a virtuoso. So that like changed our entire <laughs> perception of music and like, what you're allowed to do within a song. Um, yeah, I, I love that. And it kind of like harkens back to what, you know, like metal and hardcore was quote unquote supposed to be like yeah. in the, in the 2000s, like, you know, it, it I, we've talked about it before in the podcast, but a lot of times uh, while Long Island was, it tends to be now very inclusive. Uh, Long Island, I remember growing up was very, segregated in so much that like you know punks were in the punks were punk metal guys were metal hardcore guys were hardcore you know your your emo guys were emo but now it's kind of melted together but you know i think of you know like bands like um you know like when i when i think of that first norma jean record right so i mean you know you've got all these guys that are are great musicians but they're really just putting together these just like disgusting thrashy heavy songs and it's not really showcasing their ability as much as musicians as it's just kind of more guttural, um, like like emotional, angsty uh, mm-hmm. kind of music. Whereas when you think of, of more progressive music, you, you kind of think, just like you said, it's more about the virtuosity of musicians. And it's more about, you know, all of these. It's not about, you know, here's a part, here's a part, here's a riff, here's a breakdown. It's more about how we can fit everything together, which I think is great. Um, so. Other than Dream Theater, let's say, uh, were there any other like kind of prog mus- musicians that you you kind of felt helped you kind of space together your your love for this kind of music and and, and that kind of deal? Yeah, I mean, from there, like it, it was like that was like basically just opening the door and then like falling down a hole, you know, like it, <laughs> yeah. that was just the beginning. So there, from there, it was Opeth, um, mm-hmm. and then it was between the Barry to me, and it just got mm-hmm. like progressively heavier and heavier and heavier and we learned it didn't have to be like this goofy sort of power metal sort of dream theater vocal yeah. which we all started stray away from and we yep. realized that these like progressive elements existed in heavier scenes and mm-hmm. like i said opeth between the barrier to me and the dillinger escape plan and then we started from the bands like dillinger getting into sort of the even more um angular and chaotic stuff so then it became converge and then yeah like that whole world so i think yep. because we are influenced by so many scenes um but it's always rooted in progressive music we mm-hmm. want to take the sort of emotional approach to something like converge or dillinger that was just so visceral and so angry yeah. and so energetic but combine it with this interesting sort of like calculated approach musically like Tool or, you know, BT Bam yeah. or something like that. And yeah, like, sure, sure, sure. How can we, like, make ourselves the dirtiest version of prog that we could be? Because, like, to me, as we got into that stuff in high school, like, the 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 stuff like Dream Theater and whatever, and, like, Periphery and other shit that was getting popular at the time was too polished mm-hmm. for me, even though it was what we grew up on. It just, suddenly, it was, it was too clean. It was, yeah. the recording perfect and, like, the players were too good, you know, and it was like yeah. there was something missing about that. Like, like you said, like about Norma Jean, like that, that, that visceral in, inner kind of thing. Yeah. Was just missing. So we're like, how do we take our two favorite things and 
jammed together. And that's sort of how Cryptodeer was born. It was just like this desire to to do both, really. Absolutely. Yeah. And no, I, I I think that's a that's a great thing. I think uh melding specialties together is is fantastic, especially in creating uh, you know, like a soundscape that's just it kind of like I guess the best word to to use for it is like it's something that's independent. You know, it's something that's you know, you've you've got your avenue here, avenue B, avenue C, and you could you can kind of put them together. Uh, so I love that. Now I, I did want to ask you just noticing the, the Dillinger flag in the back there. Oh, yeah. Um, did you, uh, have you had an opportunity to listen to, uh, Pusciato's, uh, um, full yeah. length, uh, yeah, that was, I, that was something else, man. I only listened to the full record once, but I listened to a few of the singles, I guess there was like three or four singles or whatever that came mm-hmm. out. A couple of those I jammed a bunch of times and it's really cool. You can tell what that record is, at least in my estimation. It's like a book of everything he wanted to do, even if it yep. didn't matter that it didn't make sense next to it. Because like I, I love I don't know if you're listening to Black Queen, his other project. It's like that's sort of like no, it's like a Depeche me, yeah. Mode kind of thing. It's like totally different. Electronic. His voice really shines. And I absolutely 100 mm-hmm. percent love it. And some of those moments on that new record that sound like Nine Inch Nails or Depeche Mode or something yeah. are all Black Queen. And then there's some songs that sound like Dillinger B-sides. Like he even has Chris Penny yep. playing all the songs, too. And so yeah, it's like awesome, a little yeah. I don't want to say like um, incohesive, but like, I kind of love it. Like there's an entropy to it that like, Oh shit. Okay. That sounds like a Dillinger song, but then he's like, Mm -hmm. okay, that X song is almost like a pop song. So it's like a little like scatterbrain, but I don't mind that necessarily. I think it's really cool. And, and another thing with Dillinger, just as a, you know, growing, growing up as a drummer, it was like, you were, I was always in awe of, of what Chris Penny was able to do. And uh, it, it always seemed so strange to me that, you know, he went on, to play in in a band like Coheed, right? I mean, so, um, not, you know, not to slight Coheed. I mean, you're a great band, but I mean, you're going from you know playing this absolutely blistering, fast but like impeccable drum work to like you know playing a Coheed chorus on your you know on your your ride and your snare. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it's just you know, at, at the very least, Chris Penny was able to to translate that into just showing how good he is he's like okay well i can do all this crazy stuff but i could also just hang in the pocket and be there uh but you know but even like you know dillinger when uh, you know when when gill was their drummer and stuff it was always interesting to see how the rhythm section of that band was able to progress and get a little bit different with each record um i, I think dillinger is just one of those bands where we, we've talked about it on this podcast but i mean they're just transcendent in in a way mm-hmm. that is just you know, every time I've had the opportunity to see them, I mean, like the intensity has always been there, but, you know, they still can, you know, they have songs like Black Bubblegum, which in itself is like this kind of like weird, almost like, uh, I don't, even, like, like, I don't even know. Yeah, it's, it's like a pop, pop song, song. Yeah. but it but it has like this edge to it still. Yep. That's just like, that's just like, so, you know, going back to the word guttural, because that's just like, you feel it in there in that bridge where they're just like, are kind of blasting through it, man. I, I really love it. So um, they're a once in a life. They're, they're a band that comes around once in a lifetime. There's nothing before them like it. There's probably yep. going to be nothing after it. Like we, we steal our bits from Dillinger just as much as the next guy, but <laughs> we don't pretend to even try to do what that band did. They're just, they're next level. Just, I think yeah, I've he, seen that band 13 or 14 times. Like they're like one of the bands I've seen the most in my life. Cause mm-hmm. we just could not get enough of it. And we actually had to play with them a couple of times too, which was a really, oh, that's really great. Cool that's awesome. Yeah. I, I think the first time I, I, I've only seen Dillinger probably four or five times, but I think the first time I saw them, 
was uh, at the trusty old downtown. And uh, if I remember correctly, uh, I remember them turning off like all of the house lights. And like, I think they were just playing with maybe a strobe or something. Yeah. But uh, it was like, man, it was unreal, unreal, that, that amount of intensity. And uh, so on that note of intensity, um, I guess let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, some of the, you know, the kind of the newer, the newer stuff you've been working on. So 2020 obviously was a, a rough time for a lot of people, but um, as far as like the horizon is concerned, do you have any particular goals for 2021 that you, you guys are trying to adapt to trying to get out there and do? Yeah. I mean, we, we were lucky in 2020 to have snuck our record in just before COVID like really smacked mm-hmm. everybody. And January, 2020, we were in North Carolina recording um, our second album with Jamie King. And we got back in like the second week of February or something. And then like, you know, within a month, the world was fucked. So yeah. we had this sort of odd year where it was like, well, what do we do with this record? Do you put the record out? Wait till tours come back. You know, every label on the planet was like, no, let's let's just wait. You know, we'll wait this one out. Wait till the summer. OK, now we'll wait till the fall. OK, well, let's wait till the winter. Then suddenly it became obvious that nothing was changing. It wasn't getting yeah, better. And then it was yep. almost like the philosophy flipped. And, you know, we're not ultimate businessmen. At a certain point, we're just a bunch of creators. And we're like, we just want to get this goddamn record out. We're not going to sit here and wait until, you know, we can go on tour again, which right now we have one of the books that's unannounced for this coming November. So the absolute earliest we're going to be on tour is November 2021. Yeah. If everything in the planet falls into place somehow. Mm-hmm. So we had this like moment in the summer of, of the late summer of 2020, where we spoke to our label and we're like, listen guys, what's, what's the story here? Are we, are we waiting until 21 for this record or what? Because we're writing the shit out of a new one. <laughs> so like, <laughs> That's awesome. you know, we're going to have a double release show by the time this we're able to play <laughs> shows again. So we got to do something here. And, and they love the idea. Um, we had a little bit extra music actually. So we told them, well, we have two extra songs plus an album. So why don't we do like a single maybe, and then like another digital single and that'll buy us into 2021. Then we'll do the record, which is called the angel of history. And they're like, no, a better idea. You're going to do the first two as an EP. They're going to come out in September, 2020. And then we're going to do the record in December, 2020. And I was like, that's a lot of music. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of release in like a short amount of time. And they're like, let's yeah. just, let's just go. Like, let's not wait. So we thought it was a cool idea and we went with it. We did an EP called Better Left Unsaid in September. And then uh, like immediately, like about a month and change later, we announced the first single of the new album. And like every reaction was like, wait, this is another thing. Like you just put out a thing. We're like, yeah, but this is like a real thing. The other one was a short thing. This is a real thing. So um, yes, the Angel History came out on December 4th. And it was very weird to just, you know, everyone's tired of the COVID conversation, but we yeah. just to put an album out and then kind of like look around the room and like, okay, so there's no, what do we do? You know? Um, so yeah, it, it, was, it was weird. So as soon as the, the calendar changed, we were like, well, we gotta, we gotta think what we, like, what do we do? We have to do... Um, so we're going to be doing something that's not quite announced yet, but kind of doesn't really matter. We're going to be doing like a live stream performance of the whole album. That's perfect. Oh, awesome video and audio um i guess consider that now i don't know who cares Uh, it's 2021 man like nothing nothing's dramatic anymore so um yeah we're gonna be performing the entire album um pro shot audio pro shot video and then releasing that as a stream so we trying to navigate this covid world with this album is very odd to us we're a very old-fashioned band we we never did twitch or anything until this year 
We never did any kind of live streaming. We barely even like we would just post on Instagram like any other band and then we go on tour. We were very right yeah. record tour, right record tour, right record tour. It's just how we always did it. It's how all the bands we loved always did it. You know, we weren't not a new school band. We don't play out of digital amp modelers. We don't do like we're just very old school, you know. Yeah. So this has been us just trying to learn, you know, like that it's not something to be resisted necessarily. Like we started a Twitch channel this year and we didn't know what the hell we were doing and ended up being great. It ended up being <laughs> a lot awesome. of fun. So we're yeah. kind of trying now to blend these old and new worlds throughout 2021 to kind of do a new experience with this album that we would have never done with an old one. Or if there was no COVID, we probably just would have put out the album and went on tour a bunch. Whereas now we're going to do a studio documentary. We're going to do this studio performance. So I think people are actually getting a closer and more inside look at what the band does than ever before, despite being further away from people than ever before. So it's this really weird paradox. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, it's one of the more intimate things that I think 2020 has been able to bring us, you know, all of these live streams that are happening, all of these like in-depth looks into, um, into the creative process and how it works and getting to see like things that you wouldn't normally see. Like, I mean, typically, you know, you do a record release show and you kind of like maybe play your greatest hits, right? You know, you get an hour up there and you play this and that, but now we get to experience you guys playing the whole album front to back the way you intended it on record, uh, which I think is super cool. And that's a, an, another question I want to ask you. So uh, I know you said you worked with, with, with Jamie King. Uh, and I mean, you know, that everything that guy's touched is like unbelievable. I mean, you know, he's got all this stuff under his belt, you know, uh, bit bam, uh, human abstract, uh, you know, like beloved, all that kind of stuff. So what was the experience, uh, like working with him? Like, what did he lend to the, the process for you guys? It was very freeing, honestly. It was very liberating. The dude, like you said, is so like well rooted in this kind of music that like mm -hmm. I think the tendency of um most producers when they work with a band like us is to like and it's not necessarily a bad instinct, but to kind of reel it in a little bit because when you're dealing with a band like us that's that's like shooting off in every direction, it's very like, okay, how do we like get the reins on this thing, pull it in and make this, you know, maybe more accessible or maybe somebody can hear this and, and not yeah. have to like peel it back so much jamie was kind of the opposite his instinct is just like yeah go yeah okay you want to do a third harmony yeah do it okay so there's like two, both of you guys are playing in different time signatures at the same time that's that's cool like i don't care if it sounds like a mess for three bars like we're gonna we're gonna land this on one so like he just kind of gave us the space honestly that most producers probably wouldn't do they'd probably be more like pulling their hair out, like why the hell would you play that there like the other guy is already going off so why are you so it's like you know, it, it was really cool for, to like to work with a guy who's just like just the most laid back, chill guy. Just just back in his chair, just like, all right, man, yeah, man, go ahead, yeah, try that too, yeah, go. <laughs> just like you, you would think like you had all the time in the world with him, even though you're only there for two and a half weeks. But he just he gives you this like really relaxed and free environment, and no idea isn't worth trying. He's not the type where he'll never be like, not nah, stupid, no, nah, don't do that, no, nah, no, nah, trust me, don't do that. He's more of like. Yeah, track it. And then, you know, and then also track the other one and then track the third one. And then we can just pick it later. We don't have to like know right now. I'm not going to act like a drill sergeant. Like I know what I'm talking about and you don't, you know, and that's not to say anybody we ever worked with before did that. We honestly have never had a bad producer experience once. I'm just going more off of what other bands have dealt with. Sure. Uh, their first album we did with Randy LaBeouf and Steve Side over at Graphic Nature Audio in New Jersey. And they were fucking legends, too. So it's, it's not to say anything about anybody else. It's just that the. Uh, yeah, there's just a special thing about Jamie because he's used to bands like us. There was no surprises. There was no shell shock. Cool. So 
I want to take it back just a little bit. So you were talking about all this music that you guys were sitting on and how your label was kind of just like totally supportive. And the label you're talking about is Good Fight. And yeah, you guys are actually so we've talked to Jimmy King, who works for Good Fight, who's like on mm-hmm. the, you know, the Good Fight entertainment side. But we haven't talked to an artist that's actually on Good Fight yet. So Ooh, well, well, hello. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just curious about you know how you ended up on that label, and then also yeah. like, what can you tell us about that label? Because it sounds like they have their hands in everything. Like I was talking to Jimmy about this too, like, and he didn't know, but maybe you know. But they actually have like a sports agency side of the the of the label, and they yeah. have a few like NHL stars on it. I'm pretty sure like one of the Van Reams Van Reams likes. Yeah, is on I think JVR is on it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, tell me about that. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could, to be perfectly honest, but like, so the way good fight structured from what I'm aware of. And again, I, if anyone knows who's listening to this, that I'm wrong, please call me out. But it's kind of it run almost as separate entities. You know, it's the same owner. I believe Carl, uh, Carl Severson, who's the uh, he's like the old ferret records guy and everything. And he's in Nora. Yeah, yep, yeah. Yeah, yep, yep. That's I'm pretty sure the whole idea and structure is his. Um, but they're ran as sort of separate companies. So there's entertainment is, I believe, the, the everything. And that's broken up into management and label. So management does all the bands and everything. I believe Jimmy works on that side. I don't know Jimmy personally. I never met him, but I think he's manager, right? Yeah. Um, so he's on that side. And that's where the sports management and the, the, like the music management comes from. And then the totally separate business is Good Fight Music which is the label, which is actually an imprint of E1 Media 2, I believe. It's like, um, like, uh, yeah, I guess an imprint's the best word for it. Yeah. Uh, so for us, like, we almost felt like uh, p- other people knew more about Good Fight than we did when we, when we signed on with them because they're sort of, like, legendary for, like, being that Ferret Records original sort of thing that turned into Good Fight, and which is so legendary for all these old Battlecore bands and everything that we didn't even grow up listening to. You know, and like they're putting out like disembodied records and stuff, and everyone's like, "Oh, they have all these bands," and I was like, "Who? I don't know. I like, I like extortionists." <laughs> you know, like they're they're a good yeah. fight band. You know, like mm-hmm. like that. So when we were looking for a label for our first album, "The Devil's Despair," like in like 2015 or something, we were we were poking around, and um, our manager talked to, you know, a few of the more I guess like household metal record label names and stuff, and they were all friendly to the band and. And everything, but it had a little bit more of a suit and tie vibe everywhere else, you know. Um, it was a lot of this band is really cool, but I can't make money on it just yet. So call me when they're big, and then we'll we'll give them a big fat stupid contract, you know. And <laughs> there was nobody who was willing to put in the work with a band like us because you don't put out, you know, a, a weirdo prog metal record and immediately make money. You make it on their fifth record because the thing about prog that I've noticed in in my time listening to it is it's like it's a slow but constant growth for these bands. Like when you look at like Dillinger, for example, when they broke up, they were bigger than they've ever been. They yep. didn't, and, yep. and their first album, like their first like demo thing before calculating infinity didn't blow up. Even calculating mm-hmm. infinity didn't blow up. Yeah. Not you know? the time. They, yeah. Not at all. Yeah. yeah. They just got slowly bigger with every record. Same thing with BT band, same thing with Opeth. Yep. Opeth's like fifth album. They finally got big. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, mm-hmm. but you don't lose fans typically. You just kind of people just like, oh, dude, I've been listening to that band since 99. Like, they just hang yeah. on. It's not like putting out maybe like a flashy, like, and again, this is not to step on any other kind of music, but certain other kinds of music, like maybe hardcore or metalcore, it's more of like a, you put an album out and people can just get on it real quick. Maybe the band's yeah. huge for two albums and then you don't really hear from them anymore. 
So that's what a lot of labels are looking for in like a social media and streaming <laughs> age where they have to make money right away because there's mm-hmm. not money for this kind of investment. So we understand yeah. it from their perspective, but a lot of these labels weren't interested in putting in the time for us. They wanted our yeah. fifth album, not our first. So when it, or they wanted us for like seven albums to basically be like, if we're going to do it, we're going to be in it for the long haul, baby. And you're not going yeah. anywhere. <clears throat> was like the, the Josh Bailey of bands is what you're yeah. trying to tell me. <laughs> Dude, that's such a cool title to have. Cause I fucking love Josh Bailey. Um, so but like, we with like six years bit. ago, you probably didn't love Josh Bailey. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I don't think, I, I don't know. Like I w- I'm kind of always been a little bit of a Josh Bailey apologist. Like even when he stunk, I, I'm not going to say I didn't dog on the guy. Like I absolutely dogged on him. Who, who didn't, you know? So I'm not going to sit here and be like, no, I always thought he was sick. But like, I always wanted him to be sick. I'll put it that way. I would be mm-hmm. like, man, I can't stop. I can't watch you touch the puck because you're so goddamn soft. But I want you to be good because he was supposed to be good. And then it took him like seven years. But anyway, Josh Bailey rocks. So <laughs> when Good Fight did chat with us initially, there was a totally different vibe. It was just like, you know, Will Putney, who owns Graphic Nature Audio, we did a demo at his studio and he he showed it to Carl at Good Fight. and was like, dude, this weirdo band just came through my spot. And like, <laughs> I think you need to listen to it, you know, and, and they were just like, whoa, this is this is some weird shit. But like there was a genuine like appreciation for it where they were willing to, to eat the shit with us in the beginning and be like, yeah, like I like our manager always told us it's not about the name of the label that you're on or any that you anything you recognize or whatever. It's just that you need a label that believes in your band and good mm-hmm. fight showed immediate belief in the band where they're like we like weird stuff we had the contortionist and look how big that band got like we had bands like you before but we also have metalcore bands we also have deathcore bands we also have hardcore bands so when you look at good fights lineup it, to me it like mm-hmm. it says that they just sign bands they like not they're not trying to create necessarily like oh we're this kind of label you know mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like immediately attractive to us. And then when when the talks just kind of snowballed from there and just it felt like a very safe place to be. And and it's been an awesome partnership with them. Yeah. You know, you you always hear from all of the the episodes we've done and talking to all different musicians from all different types of alternative music. You you really hear one of two things. It's either we're working with this label and we love them and and they're just so supportive of us. And and we and, you know, we we get everything we need from them or you kind of hear like. Uh, yeah you know they they just don't really know what to do with us and you always you always hate to hear that because there is there's such great creativity out there in the world and if you you know you sign to a label that you know maybe flashes you some cash or they originally tell you that they you know they want to be behind you and then you know first record doesn't do as great as they hoped and all of a sudden you're like okay we're ready for our second record now and they're like cool man like what it you know what? Is, okay, fine. Like here's 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 a hundred bucks. Go record okay. it. And you're like, ah, uh, you know. So it's such a bummer when when we hear that kind of stuff. But you know, for the most part, knowing that you know some of our favorite artists have the backing of people that are actually willing to support them, and not only like support them monetarily, but just support them in terms of their vision and creativity. Because you hear all these stories, you know of pop labels, like being so nitpicky about, okay, well, this is what we need. This is the record that we need because this record is going to sell us a hundred thousand copies. It's nice to know that, you know, good fight is willing to say, okay, well, you know, you guys, you know, create your, the, the art that you want and then, you know, we'll back it and it'll sell, you know, we'll, it, it'll just, it'll, it'll just kind of, kind of rock through. So 
I, I, I love to hear that. So um, another question I have to, uh, you know, want to ask you about your new record. Um, I know on uh, one of the last tracks on the record, you guys had uh, the vocalist of Moontooth yeah. uh, do a little, do a little bit of a uh, something. And I mean, I don't like, I don't, I, I kind of want to say this, but I don't want to like ruffle any feathers, but it's oh, almost oh. like, it's almost like here you guys are. And like, I feel like Moontooth is kind of like your little brother. Oh no! Like, in a way, <laughs> no, I, no. I, I don't. I don't. I don't mean that in like a in like a sense of um like riding coattails or anything. But I just right. feel like you know you, your guys are both. Even though you're very very different in, in the way you sound, you guys are mm-hmm. both kind of in that prog space. And oh, I feel yeah. like and I feel like you you know you, you guys kind of stepped out and were were kind of noticeable. And then maybe Moontooth was like, wow, you know, if if, if Cryptodire is doing it, like. let's do it. And obviously now they're, you know, they're on pure noise and doing their whole thing. But, um, I, I I love them. They're great people. I mean, Vin, Vin is, Vin is awesome. Love him to death. Uh, It's his birthday today, actually. So happy birthday. Yeah. Happy, happy birthday, man. Uh, come, come on, come on. And you know, we'll we'll talk to you too. We'll talk to everybody. But, um, (laughs) so, uh, did you guys like when you had written that song, was it written for like a feature or did you just figure like, uh, we can get them on here somehow and and this is where we want to do it so like it's it's an interesting way we write because i actually and and neither does mike the other vocalist we don't mm-hmm. write the lyrics our drummer matt does actually oh wow he's, he's that's like, yeah wow, that's interesting. he's like a total, yeah he's like our neil pert of our band like if, if anyone's in a rush he's like a total like yeah. just a genius he's one of the smartest guys i know he's a philosophy mm-hmm. student he's a psychology student and he writes all of our lyrics about critical theory so like all the things you had to do in school that you didn't want to do, like open a textbook and write notes, he does it for fun, like all the time. He has notebooks <laughs> that are like this big that are just full of notes. And like they're so sacred to him. He like copy like photocopies them and shit in case anything ever happens to them. Wow. Because like it's all of his life's work is just like in this stuff. It's super cool. So he writes all the lyrics. And um, when we got to that part, we were demoing it and I did the singing, obviously, for the whole song. And then. Mm-hmm. And we were, it's a very low register part. And John from Moontooth has this super like sort of smoky voice. Yeah. And after we did it, like Matt was just like, dude, I could totally hear like John singing that part. And we we're like, I was like, well, all we have to do is ask him. <laughs> like it's, we yeah, don't right, have yeah. to be like, about this. We can just do it. Um, that band is like, like you alluded to it. Oh, Islanders just scored by the way. It's four nothing. Dude. So um, <laughs> let's go. You have it on in the background and it's so distracting yeah. <laughs> for me because I'm like, I think something just happened important. So Dude. you can see me on my phone, like trying to refresh, <laughs> but thank you for the update. So, so, side note is actually, it's funnier because my TV's behind me for obviously anyone listening can't see this, but my TV's behind me, my computer and laptop interface are in front of me. My desk does not move because it's mounted into the wall. So I'm like, how am I going to watch the game while I'm doing this? If it's behind me. So I also have it on in front of me on my cell phone, which nobody can see right now. Excellent. But because that's on a stream, it's like a minute behind what's behind me. So Mike might actually see the Islanders score before I react because that's cable, which is live. And this is like a minute. behind. So you know what's going like to happen? Inception. You know what's going to happen with this, right? It's like like little old bar down breakdown because that little screen has the game yeah. on it. NHL is just going like- to totally... We're going to get season desist. Oh my God. Barry Trotz is (laughs) going to yell at us. He's going to be like, get that off your screen. (laughs) 99th episode. The Wayne Gretzky episodes. I get your podcast shut down because I'm a moron. (laughs) Right? Dude. (laughs) Yeah. This is is Um, totally the Wayne Gretzky episode. And because it's the Wayne Gretzky episode, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about Wayne Gretzky. So, um, 
I, I can share, obviously, you know, being in my 30s, that even though I know that, you know, he, he was he was an oiler and he was a he was a king, of course. Um, you know, my waking moments are of Gretzky playing on the Rangers. Sure, yeah. So Same. so of course, for me, you know, growing up and seeing this phenomenal player on the Rangers, I was just I remember being so jealous. Yeah. Just being like, well, well, where's where's our great player? You know, why does he get to be on the Rangers? You know, where's our great player? And, you know, that's that like eight or nine year old mentality, you know, just like not really understanding the game. But um, I think, you know, for 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 Gretzky, I mean, like, it's just, you know, you go where the money is, of course. Right. I mean, especially in that part of your career. But I mean, you know, playing for one of the original six, you know, in the garden, which is like kind of the, the mecca of sports, as they say, must have been really kind of a flashing allure for him, especially being in New York. So um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you, Scott, first. Like what, what are your Gretzky memories? So I'm a little younger. I'm 27. So okay. my, like you said, my like waking hockey moments definitely involve Wayne being a, a ranger. Yeah. Um, I, my, my most specific Wayne Gretzky memory is actually watching his last game ever. That is ironically probably my first Wayne Gretzky memory is being at my brother's friend's house who was a Rangers fan and watching his last game and the whole like little ceremony after the game and everything and not understanding the gravity of that moment. And then many years later, kind of having saw that game again. And I'm like, Oh, I kind of remember all this, like the waving at the crowd and everything. And, um, and then kind of just, as I got older, I just dug so much into hockey lore. Like it, it just became, I was such a fan just as a kid as, of just the Islanders. But then probably when I was like, I want to say like 10 or 11 years old, I started to like dig a little more into other teams. And then I got, I begged my parents to buy NHL center ice when I was like 14. So I could watch all the teams, in the NHL. Cause yeah. I was enjoying watching Islanders games so much, but it only happened a couple times a week that I started to get addicted to like watching everything. And I was like, you gotta, yeah. I got, you gotta buy this, you know? So then from there, uh, I got the NHL network that came with it. And I started watching all the programming they had um, on like off season or like games where there's no uh, nights where there's no games and stuff. And they had all these features on Gretzky and they started showing old Islanders and Oilers games. And of course, since I'm an Islanders fan, I was watching the Gretzky era uh, Oilers against the Islanders. And just to watch him play at such a level that I was like, like so different than the guys around him. I started to feel like watching him in, in the early 80s, he was playing like guys were playing in the 90s almost. Like almost like what I remembered as a kid. And I'm like, I'm starting to understand why this guy was as good as he was. Not that he was the super fastest player or whatever. Um, and obviously I was used to watching like the early 2000s Islanders and like the teams at the time that like the speed seemed so slow to me watching the eighties, obviously, but Gretzky, his brain was always like five steps ahead of the play. Yeah. Yeah. He was doing moves that guys weren't doing for 10 more years. And just the way he like operated behind the net and everything, he just like was the first like super creative player that I remember like seeing from that era anyway. And I think, um, one of the things that I'll, I'll kind of throw your way, Mikey. Um, so, you know, looking at those eighties era Gretzky, like stats is just like, makes you want to throw up. Uh, you know, we're talking like 215 points, 210 points, 212 points. Um, obviously the game a lot different in the eighties than it is now, but do you think that there will ever be another hockey player that can put together those kind of numbers? No. <laughs> and and I was telling Scott this, uh, you know, before we even started recording. Yes, the game was different, but also the style of goaltending was different. And, you know, that's why he was able to put up, you know, so many points is like, first off, goalie equipment was like 
basically what you know forwards wear these days like they're they're they really weren't bulky pads or anything so like mm-hmm. the amount of net that was open was a lot more than it is now and you know i i also just think that you know that the fact that they were using wooden sticks yeah um, yeah you know they they weren't really even ripping slappers like you you see <laughs> you, you're seeing with these composites they're on the ice <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like all his goals were like on the ice still like the puck was, didn't even really lift off the ice so it, it was a totally different game um i think if ovechkin played at that time maybe maybe we'd be talking about him as being the greatest goal scorer of all time but i think he already is i, yeah. I honestly i think wayne gretzky will always be the best player of all time especially numerically but i think because I, I look at errors in proportion, right? So, like, I try not to fall victim to, like, if so-and-so played in so-and-so era, he would crush them. Because if Ovechkin played in the 80s, Ovechkin would play like he played in the 80s because he would have grown up in the 80s with the same gear and the same style. and this. So I kind of look at things, like, almost like a formula. Like, and this is just completely bullshit numbers, but, like, a 50-goal season for Alex Ovechkin is maybe a 72-goal Timu Solani rookie-style season in the 80s. <laughs> So, like, I almost try to take one goal and, like, multiply it by, like, one point something or other. I'm sure there's out there, there's already nerds who have done the math on this. But to me, if you look at Ovechkin's goal-scoring numbers anyway, not his points, not his whatever, but his goal-scoring numbers, I think if he he stopped playing today, he's already the best goal-scorer of all time. I don't think there's anything you can take away from him. The guy started playing in the dead puck era, and obviously things have opened up a little bit in the last couple of years, but as he's aging it's not changing, which is like really fucking bizarre to me. And the fact that we're in the year 2021 and yes, it's going to be a real difficult chase, especially with shortened seasons due to COVID and whatever else. But the fact that he's even having this conversation about catching Gretzky is psychotic. Like that's a crazy (laughs) conversation. Not that it's crazy. that it's like not possible. It's crazy that it's so possible that we're having the conversation. To me, if you're going to have that conversation, that means you're already the best goal scorer of all time. And and I think, you know, Alex Ovechkin, the thing with him is, I mean, he's pretty much made of of like vodka anyway. So, I mean, like, I feel like the guy can probably play until he's 60 years old. Yeah. Um, and and I mean, even if realistically he can't, you you know, the son of a bitch is going to try. Yeah. You know, he's, that's, he's that's one thing for sure. Because yeah, he really is. You know, you, you think about the, this like weird off season that we had. He was playing in Russia. He, he yeah. you know, he he did not want to stop playing and he absolutely loves the game now that he has a little one and he's teaching his little one how to play the game as well. I feel like that's sparked the love of hockey again. Got and, it. Yeah. And, and I, I don't see him going away. And if he does go away, he's just going to go back to Russia and play in the KHL for another 20 years. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And, and- to me, like you, he's more of a miracle of modern science than than most people even think, because at, yeah. the way he like Yager playing till he's fifty million years old makes sense to me, <laughs> because he always played the game like it was in slow motion, and he utilizes his his range and his and his size so well that he's mm-hmm. able to kind of keep the mileage off his body a little bit. Ovechkin plays like a wrecking ball, and that's yeah. why I actually can't believe he hasn't slowed. Like if you asked me five years ago, I would have said, "Wait till that guy's like a couple of years past thirty, you're gonna see a steep drop off." I'm happy to eat those words because, like, it's crazy. I mean, this guy literally, I mean, he's like a pinball. Like, the way yeah. he bounces off guys. He's, like, what, 35 now? I'm not, he was drafted. Yeah, something, five, something, something like that, something yeah. Like that. 15 years ago. Yeah, I mean, he's 30. No, he's 34, I think. Whatever it is. It's, like, 
he still plays that same style, which usually those guys just, they hit a wall and yeah. maybe it could still happen, but like, I really hope it doesn't. Cause I'm not the type of Islanders fan who's like, like, listen, I know they've had plenty of battles with the caps and I don't like the team, the Washington capitals, but I am such an Ovechkin fan. I love that player so, so much. And, and, and it's, it's a testament to him as a player as well. You know, that whole series against the capitals, like no matter how, how, you know, the perception was that the Islanders had it in hand. Every time Ovi touched the puck, you just kind of like your, your butthole puckers up a little bit. (laughs) You're just like, you're like, Oh shit. Oh no. Oh shit. Because that's how dangerous he is. And I mean, and he even, uh, not that he did it enough, but he did it, you know, a couple of times enough to just show like, Hey, like I'm still who I am, you know? Uh, so I I think that's, that's one of the things about him now. Um, what I'm curious to hear, uh, your thoughts on is so now we're coming into like another era of hockey. Um, as far as, you know, some of the, the quote unquote young bucks that are playing the game now, um, who do we think has the potential to be like the next Ovi, you know, who could be the next real phenom in this game? I'm not sure about an Ovi style player specifically for going by playing style, but in terms of like taking the game by storm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's it's I feel like it's hard to even know these things are happening until you look back at them. But Connor McDavid was already one of the best players to play in the NHL ever. Yeah. Like yeah. again, we're living in him already right now, and his team isn't all that great. I mean, they've been okay, but like they're not making all kinds of waves. So it's maybe difficult to look at it from that perspective. But watching McDavid play the game, it's clear like this is another style player like Crosby or Ovechkin, where they literally ushered in, like you said, like a whole new era of style of player of guys mm-hmm. who just I mean. I have never seen a guy get on his horse as fast as McDavid. I shouldn't even say as fast as, but because there's been guys probably maybe as fast as Connor McDavid in the NHL, maybe, but it's not about necessarily his foot speed by itself, but while he's carrying the puck, I have never seen a guy at that speed have that kind of control over the puck. Like Michael Grabner's a fast player. He looks like he's like standing <laughs> yeah, he on like, like ice cream Mendoza. sandwiches. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, it's a, yeah. So like, so you know, you, you said- hit him. You hit him with like a perfect breakaway pass and like, he just like falls down. It's not the same, you know, (laughs) the way he like McDavid has full a hundred percent like puck on the string control at like a billion miles an hour is I've never seen anything like that in my entire life ever. Yeah. I I think that, that, uh, what's his name? Stuzel, Struzel. Yeah. Yeah. Dude. I was watching a few of those, uh, world junior games and, it just so happened yeah. to be that, like, you know, obviously, you know, the Germanys and the Switzerlands were playing at, like, that 5 o'clock window, you know, yeah. earlier in the <laughs> evening. And I was like, all right, I'm going to cook dinner and have an excuse to watch hockey while I do it. So, yeah. like, I, I, I watched a bunch of those games. And I'm not going to lie, man. He impressed me. He, he oh, this dude's so sick. Yeah, he, he uh, played an Ovechkin style of hockey. Like, going coast to coast, <laughs> laying the body on the line, like just a ridiculous tape job, like the, the most ridiculous tape job ever. And <laughs> I, I just was super impressed. I think Ottawa's got, got a, a, a stud with that one. Yeah. He's 100% like the real fucking deal. No, no question about it. And, um, fucking, uh, Trevor Zegras was unbelievable for, for team USA too. Like really, really just a cool team, man. Like that, I had so much fun watching the tournament this year. It was just, it was just fantastic. The last game was really cool too. I mean, like, I honestly felt terrible for Canada. Those kids looked like their hearts were ripped out in front of, like, you know, it was like, like 
everyone on Canada looked like their dog just got shot in front of them. Because but they get like death so... threats, like legit yeah. death threats from it's crazy fuck. 50 year olds in their mom's basement. Like it's crazy. Yeah. It was fucking. I like after they like America won, I was like, I was upset. I was just like, man, this sucks. Like I wanted Canada to win just so they didn't have to feel that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like For sure. old or whatever. It was rough. But That's yeah, a fun no, there was tournament, so many... tournament, man. Oh, I, I love it. I, I just wish that they would travel more, like with the host cities. Mm -hmm. I feel like Buffalo gets it like every other year. Or sure, yeah. I, I would love to see you know a Carolina get it, or you know a non traditional hockey market get the tournament to just help grow international hockey. Like yeah, obviously right. Canada's gonna gonna get tune in no matter what. Canada's gonna, yeah. tune in. but in the United States, unless you are a diehard hockey fan. You're not really watching that tournament, yeah. So, so yeah. if they, if they could just go to you know an Arizona or even one of the California arenas, I think it'd be great for growing growing hockey. Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it too is accessibility of being able to watch it. Like this year, NHL Network had every game. Um, they usually do, but you know you have to pay extra for NHL Network. It's yeah. not on. Mm -hmm. It's not on like yeah. a major national American channel. So. I think once they're able to make that leap, if they are, you're going to see a pretty big jump. But I, I'm sure there's somebody who makes a lot more money than me who knows why that can't happen or something. But yeah, you know, in my estimation, and, and, that's that would be more. And, and it's like kind of and it's kind of a bummer to think that, like, you know, the, the ESPN family and networks. And I mean, you know, they have a contentious relationship with the NHL and hockey anyway. But I mean, think about all of the coverage the Little League World Series gets. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like, it's literally never ending coverage on the Little League World Series. And they're talking about like, you know, like, here's like, here's like Johnny Jr. And his, he loves hot dogs and his favorite <laughs> band is Metallica. And, and, you know, it's just like, imagine if they gave just an inkling of that coverage to the, to the, to the juniors, you know, that, because yeah. it would, it would at least be diverse and it would give them a little bit more of like a programming edge. But, you know, it just, yeah, ever since I guess it was probably the, 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 the lockout, lockout in the 2000s, yeah. just it, like ESPN was just like, fuck hockey, fuck you guys. Like, we're just gonna, <laughs> like, we're, we're literally like, like, I, I, and like, it just every single time it's like, you know, the Stanley cup normally not in COVID, but the Stanley cup and the NBA finals usually run concurrent or at least yeah. close to one another. And like, they would cover like the NBA finals ad nauseum. They would literally like be like, you know, breaking news, like LeBron James is wearing like red shoelaces today. Like, oh my God. Oh, and by the way, the blues just won the Stanley cup. You, you don't give a shit about that. Anyway, yeah. back to LeBron sneakers. It's just like, it's such a bummer because hockey like is just going to stay that, like that fourth sport. And it sucks because there's so much grit and intensity. Um, and I really was hoping that uh, the, the past, you know, the past playoffs and how they pulled it off and how all of these players were able to contain themselves in the bubble and not have issues was really going to bring up hockey stock. And maybe that remains to be seen, but as it looks like right now, it's just the same old shit where like, they're like, you know, we as hockey fans are like a oh, hockey season, man, this is the greatest time of year, but like no one else could be bothered. And it's, it's such a, it's such a bummer really is a bummer. It can be, but that you're, you're definitely right. Literally in all that. Um, what I do take solace in much like the weirdo prog bands is that despite it not getting that massive jump or bump, it's always consistently gotten bigger still though. 
the NHL's revenue has never gone down pretty much in our lifetimes, which so while might be a, a very slow growth, it is happening. And I think that new TV, that new TV deal that's supposed to come up with the new CBA or whatever, um, could definitely probably change a lot of that. Um, but you know what it is like, maybe it's just like the little, like us against the world mentality, but I, I kind of love it just being mine, you know, like I obviously, obviously would much prefer the, the game to grow. Um, but as it stands, it's like, you know what, it's, it's just a little bit more unique. It's just one more thing about like my selfish personality. That's a little bit more mine than being a football fan or something. And I think all sports are cool, man. But I just, I'd encourage everyone who's not a hockey fan. I'm always like, dude, I know it might be a little weird on TV. If you're not used to it, come to a game with me. Just like, let me bring you to one hockey game. You will be a fan before you leave. And I guarantee it. And I've done it with friends. I mean, I've had so many friends. I even have friends from overseas that came from England um, who just started watching games with us on tour, like on our laptops. And then actually a couple of them came to a game with us. There's a great band called Rolo Tomasi that we've toured with a few times who were like our best friends. They're from the UK. And um, one of their guys, Chris, came over like a couple of years ago and uh, just for like a vacation. And we're like, dude, we're taking an Islanders game. And he was like, just beside himself like he's like i've never seen it. and and he's a huge soccer fan and obviously yeah. soccer is like the most psychotic fans on earth like i think they oh, yeah. win that title for sure oh but yeah, like just like the yeah. game itself he was like i i've this is insane and, and he watched games with us on our on like on our laptops and he thought it was cool but it's just something about going to a hockey game i even have friends that are like big fans of like basketball and football and stuff who are like dude i'm a way bigger football fan but my favorite game to go to is a hockey game i think it's just like unanimously the at least and again it sounds probably it's obviously a matter of opinion but i think it just is objectively the best sport to watch live it's just so intense now i i want to jump in there because you mentioned you know how how you just need to go to get that one game experience so can you tell us like what your first experience was that got you hooked I wish I had a great answer for it where I remembered, but I, my, I really don't. My earliest memory, though, is my dad taking me to an Islanders and Rangers game, though, in the late 90s. I don't know. I was too young. I don't remember who they were playing. I have no idea what year it was. I just know it was the late 90s, and I remember being in the old barn and just, like, watching just, just the noise factor, if anything, got me, of just, like, every time they touched the puck, catching a pass, and, like, the rake microphones pick up that crisp, like, ice sound. And I think there's just something so unique about it. and. My dad exposed me to all sports. He's a hockey fan, but he's not. He's actually more of a football fan and a baseball fan. So, but he watches every sport. So when I was a kid, he just, you know, I, I watched Knicks games. I watched, I was a kind of a Chicago Bulls fan for a little bit when I was a kid. I gave up on all that like three years yeah. ago, but you know, <laughs> I, I had Jets jersey. I haven't watched football in years, but like he gave me sort of the open palette, my dad. I was like, whatever you want, man. Like these are, these are all the sports, you know, and hockey just just sucked me in man it was something about it just it wasn't on green grass there was something just the, about the fact that you had to learn how to walk again to play you know any other sport you strap on your cleats and okay you're walking and running you get on a hockey rink dude step one like it's like learning how to walk again and then you have to play a game and there's something about this cold wintry environment and the sound was so different and it was just stood out it didn't look or sound or feel like any other major American sport. So it just, my brain just magnetized to that. And uh, yeah, I, my brother was a huge Sigmund Palfy fan when uh, we were growing up. So he got me really in the Islanders and now I'm a bigger fan than him. Like, he just watches casually now, but I'm like the one who's like pulling my hair out over games every <laughs> single week, you know, but just my family just sort of got me into it. But I'm always been that way where like, 
it might take I might not gravitate to everything, but when I do pick the things I like, I'm like psychotic about it. I don't like many things casually. Yeah, I'm I'm the same way, man. I have a crazy addictive personality. So I'm, yeah. I'm definitely the same way. But for sure. I, I guess what I'm also curious about, since you live out in Mount Sinai, which, you know I don't live there anymore. Okay. But I I yeah, I'm I'm still near there. I'm in Middle Island now, south there. But sorry, I don't want to cut you off. No, either way, you know that's still a hike to the to the Coliseum, yeah. mm-hmm. and then especially when they played in Brooklyn. Like, mm-hmm. did did you make that trek to Brooklyn oh. ever? Oh yeah, always didn't bother me at all because the way I looked at it was like whether I'm driving down like a million highways to get to the, the Coliseum or, or I'm jumping on a train to Brooklyn. Like obviously the train situation was a little bit longer as a journey, but it was almost easier because I wasn't driving, you know, I could just crack beers in the train and, and hang out. So it's like, yeah, the experience was longer, but it was also easier. So like, I don't know. I wasn't more, I was obviously devastated when I found out they were going to be moving out of the Coliseum and into Brooklyn, not because I was not a Barclays hater. I was not a Brooklyn hater. I think fans got way too babyish about that. Like, obviously it wasn't an ideal situation. It wasn't an arena that was built for hockey. We're not used to having to go into the city for games. Obviously, it was just a whole big different thing. So I understand the gut reaction. But I always kept reminding other fans, like, dude, it was this or, like, go to the Midwest. So, like, just be grateful that the Barclays Center existed and was willing to take in this team. Granted, it was a rocky relationship and, you know, all kinds of other crap that ended up going on. But, like, I didn't hate the Barclays Center. Like, yeah, okay, there's the weird section. You don't sit in the weird section. It was always empty. You can't see the net. It wasn't built for hockey. We already established this. Let's move on and enjoy the game. I'm just more of an optimistic person when it comes to that kind of shit. Where like, I don't know, did I want it to be permanent? No. And then it wasn't. So it's fine. I look at it like when you need like a, you have a weird patch in your life and you live in like a crappy spot for a while. And then like you get a nicer (laughs) house or something like it. And it wasn't a bad place. It was, it was, it wasn't like it was this rundown arena. It just wasn't built for hockey. It's the only, and it wasn't anyone's fault. It was a basketball arena that we're very lucky to have had because we may have been the Kansas city fucking who knows by now. <laughs> so. No, for sure. And then I, I guess the next question I have then, um, you know, you guys are also in a unique spot where you are so close to the Port Jeff ferry. Yeah. So did you take that trip to, to sound tigers games? Because yes. like, I feel like when the, the, the Islanders acquired the sound tigers and like created that AHL team, they were like, oh, people from Long Island are going to go there all the time. They're going to jump on the ferry. And yeah. Tom and I have done it. Like, it is actually yeah. a lot of fun. But even yeah, like, even us, where we were from in Deer Park, we would have to drive, you know, 30 to 40 minutes to Port Jeff yep. and then get on an hour ferry. And it's like, man, that's like almost two hours or so of my night. Dude, just go. I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but but you know, from Mount Sinai, you know, that's what oh, it was I, easy. Yeah, it was easy, and then you got you know an hour ferry ride where you can go to the bar on there and crush beers. Ferry. I love the ferry ride, dude. It was awesome. I I actually could take it one step further. One of my best friends worked for the ferry for years. They had a partnership with Bridgeport, and they get free tickets, and then he would also get me on the ferry for free. So for a zero dollar day, sometimes I would just jump on the ferry, go to see a Sound Tigers playoff game in the Skybox for zero dollars, and then just come home. It was all, all it did was cost me the price of beer for my buddy, and that was it. So, yeah, I only got to do it like three times, I think. Um, but it just it's so it's such a cool thing. It's I for as close as we are to it, I really wish that I've done it more. But they're still there, so there's nothing that stops me from going to do it more. He doesn't work for the ferry anymore, so it won't be free. 
but it's still ultimately an AHL game that will be pretty cheap. But I'm used to doing the long tracks, man. Like I would for Barclays games, tried to run Concomo, which was like 20 minutes and then, you know, get on like a two hour train ride or more, probably about an hour, hour and a half to Atlantic or, and sorry, to uh, Jamaica and then Jamaica and then go to Atlantic. Yep. You know, the whole thing in reverse. So like I was used to like four hours round trip of traveling for an Islanders game, but it's just, you know, whatever. Like I look at it as I, I'm not going to an Islanders game. Like I'm turning it out of my house and it's casual. It's going to be my whole night. So I don't really mm-hmm. care. Fans are really, really, really big on complaining. I'm not as big <laughs> and, as complaining. And I mean, look like, like, let's be real. Like that Barclays center, like when you go for a game, you just go to that Buffalo wild wings and you just get hammered yeah. right at that Buffalo wild wings. Yeah, no, I, I, and I, I think the, you know, obviously Ranger fans have no sympathy for you whatsoever because that's no. all they've ever yeah. done. Well, and, dude, and, honestly, uh, <laughs> sorry, I don't want to cut you off, but that's why no, I always good. get sad about the Islanders fans is that yeah. most major, most teams in general in sports are in major markets, right? So they're yeah. in cities. So mm-hmm. fans either have to take public transportation or whatever to get to them. We were spoiled to be a suburban team that you can drive up to from a parkway, yep. pull into a big old parking lot, and then get your ass to the arena and then drive home. Like, that's not the case for most teams. So I was like, okay, so for a few years, we have to be a regular team. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it's what it is. You know, like, and then, you know, I don't want to hear it. that building better be full when they open up Belmont because all people did was whine and complain about getting them like obviously it's still further west than the coliseum but they're, okay they're back officially quote unquote on long island I mean, yep. you can still drive to it now because there's the big mm-hmm. old parking lot and everything yep. that arena better be goddamn full of every person who said oh, i'm not going to brooklyn blah 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 okay well then you better Ooh. go to belmont because they built a whole ass arena for you oh they're gonna yep. you know there's gonna be people like oh i hate northern state i hate the northern uh, state uh. too long drive uh. the train <laughs> station's a nightmare because they're gonna try to open up that Belmont station or whatever. Like it, there's people are always going to find something to complain about. And was the Barclays center, my favorite place to watch a hockey game. Absolutely not by any stretch of the imagination. But every time I was there, I was just like, yeah, man, like my team's here. So I'm going to watch the game and get into it. You could put me in the goddamn local rink watching the Islanders. Like once. And that's why, like, I think the bubble thing translates better to hockey than it does from most, uh, most sports. I'm watching the empty fan games and obviously it's not the same, but I find it's so much less distracting at a hockey game than when I watch any other sport where like, I go watch football. I'm like, dude, it's like the fans are gone. The whole vibe is just cut off. But hockey, like you just sort of tunnel vision into the intensity of the game because the game generates so much of its own energy that it's not like a lot of other sports that rely on like screaming and yelling constantly. You know, I agree a thousand percent. And I, I think, you know, with the empty arena for, for hockey, it, I, I especially when they funneled in a little bit of the crowd noise, there were times where I didn't even like remember that there were no fans in it. And that was during yeah. the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So for sure, I, I think it, it definitely uh, did translate well with the no fans for sure. So I, I guess, yeah. you know, we're coming up on an hour now. So I guess fill us in, Scott, where, where do you think the Islanders are going this year? I'm... What's your prediction? <sighs> It, like if if my bandmate Mike hears this, he's gonna kill me and call me a liar. Cause like <laughs> he always paints me, and he's to be fair to him, he's kind of right as a pessimistic person. But that's like seems to be minute to minute for me in the grand scheme of things. As an Islanders fan, I am an optimist. I do think this team is very good. Um, does it have its shortcomings and problems? Without a doubt, they're not a perfectly constructed team uh, by any stretch of the imagination. 
I'm absolutely dog shit at predictions. So I will just cop out here and say them getting back to the conference finals. Absolutely. Within the realm of possibility. I'm not going to sit here and say New York Islanders Stanley cup champions, 2021, but I don't think based on the way hockey is played and how it's kind of any given team on any given night, I don't see why not. And I don't think getting back to the conference final as a goal is by any stretch of the imagination, like out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. It's definitely not untenable. So uh, I'm going to read you um, a text message that I sent on a couple of text messages that I sent. I don't know, like two or three weeks ago. And this is how it read. Now I'm already wrong. My first prediction is wrong, but, but (laughs) this is my, my Islanders prediction for the first six weeks. Ready? It goes like this. January 14th, boys, 3-1 loss to the Rangers, rebounding <laughs> with four, right? Rebounding with four straight wins. Okay. Then an, in, then an integral member of the roster goes down for a month. Fans um. panic. We lose two out of three. Fans panic more. Then a Bridgeport call-up gets smoking hot, and the Isles win the next seven to nine. Then I said, print it. I'm like Matt Christopher writing sports stories. <laughs> so, so I, I mean... <laughs> I hate it. I love it. But, you know, I think the one thing that you can plausibly say about the Islanders, especially seeing what we're seeing with, with this game that we're watching now, is um, there there can be brilliance with this team. Um, oh, you yeah. know, and, and I think it 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 means something that, you know, the Islanders didn't go out and make these humongous blockbuster deals to get you know, uh, uh, your, you know, the, the free agents that were out there, because I think between Lou and Trotz, they had enough, uh, you know, enough love for the team and they have enough confidence in the team that with enough time, these guys can, can be like a superpower. So, um, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's completely unrealistic to, you know, to hunger for the Islanders to get back to the conference finals. Um, you know, I, I don't want to jinx anything, but I mean, you know, uh, teams like the lightning and the Bruins are, are still powerhouse teams, but I mean, yeah. you know, if, if the Islanders can keep healthy and pull their shit together, I mean, I really think that they can, they can give the lightning a run for their money and, and maybe even see a, see a cup final. And, and, and if you say that, I feel like the, the East especially now the way the divisions are divided. Well, they're the same divisions, but I, I think the East is stronger than the West. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I feel that way. So I think that if the Islanders can make it to a, to a cup final, I think they got a, a real shot to, to, to hoist the cup. So I, I realistically, um, you know, they're, they're out in the first round because you know, I'm a pessimistic Islander fan. So, yeah, you know, that's just what I got to say. But um, I, I think that this season, like I said, it's going to be different. Uh, but it's going to be very, very cool for hockey fans. Uh, it's going to be a lot of real, I think, tight, just like hard-nosed hockey. And I think it's going to be great. And I think the Islanders are going to end up prevailing in a, in a in a way that is really cool for the future of the franchise. I do. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a team with a lot of shortcomings. Like, I, I'm a, also a realistic Islanders fan, despite being a, like, one who wants them to be really good. Mm-hmm. They are... Not a very, it sounds like a crazy thing to say, like to some people, but they're not a very talented team as far as the NHL goes by any stretch of the imagination, mm-hmm. but they have the number one asset that they've always been missing as long as I've been a fan. And that is a very solid structure and system. And Mike and I, my guitar player, Mike always agree with this. Um, 
this yes, I want them to have a, a higher scoring punch for sure. I think the Islanders are in desperate need of a, a talented goal scoring winger. Um, but what while the NHL is trending in that direction of high flying speed based hockey and skill and speed, it's a hundred percent more uh, important than it was when I was a kid growing up. But still, the number one thing in hockey is a good system. No matter what, if you don't have good coaching and a good system, that's what the NHL is based off of. But when you watch the World Junior and stuff, you're watching a lot of individual skill, a lot of team passing, lots of really, really cool and and, and fun, high-paced hockey. But then the reason why a lot of these players don't translate to the NHL is because maybe they can't get out of that you know, frame of mind and into this yep. sort of circular grind that is the NHL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what the Islanders have is a near perfect structure to a point where you're able to then sh- sort of shelter their flaws. Like when you have a defender or a forward, who's not all that good or all that talented, you cr- sort of create this plug and play situation where, okay, the Islanders have to trade a guy like Devontae's heartbreaker. Love the guy. He's a great mobile defenseman. Your team is empirically worse by having had to, had to trade him without a re- like a real replacement. I don't want to like say it's not a real replacement because the idea is Noah Dobson comes in and becomes that sixth defenseman. Um, but they're able to do that with a degree of confidence that when you take out one really important cog and plug in a 20-year-old like Noah Dobson, because the system is so strong, it's less about the individual, more about the sum of its parts. And that's why the team, I think, is successful. I mean, they're really look at them top to bottom. Like Jordan Everly is in their top line. I'm a Jordan Everly apologist. I think he's better than he's been. Um, but he's not really a top line right winger on most Stanley Cup winning teams. He's not. And even Anders Lee, despite being the captain of the team, is not a top line left winger on most hockey teams nope. in the NHL. But again, because of the sort of plug and play nature that they've able to create by just having such a smart top to bottom system makes them a threat on any given night. So it makes them unpredictable. That's for sure. You don't look at the roster and go like, that's a team that's going to win the Stanley Cup. You don't look at them like, Washington Capitals or Tampa Lightning or Colorado Avalanche or something like that, or the Vegas Golden Knights, like those teams, you look at their rosters and go like, yeah, that team's going to make the finals or they should. Anyway, with the Islanders, you look at it and you go, oh, and that's why all these like sort of NHL pundits go like, yeah, they'll make the playoffs, but I, I don't know about them getting anywhere, but it's just, so again, it makes them unpredictable, but it does make them very winnable at the same time. So I have trouble placing them myself and going like, is Leo Komarov going to hoist the Stanley Cup? I don't know. I can't see it, but like maybe he will because the team is just so fucking structured. So I'll take that over most, like most facets of any hockey team. It's just a good structure. I agree a thousand percent for you. You nailed it, man. That that was some like real hockey analysis. Like you <laughs> should should be on TSN or something, bro. That was good. I would love to. I, if, if I wasn't in a band, not that I make money on it, but my second dream was actually <laughs> to to be in hockey broadcasting because I loved it so much. Hell yeah! Yeah, you, uh, in in order to do that though, you have to have uh, you have to have that Brendan Burke haircut. Correct. Yeah. You know yeah. that like yeah that, like, the cool you know. swoop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's we can't all have the cool swoop, but uh, um, uh, Scott. I thank you so much for, for taking, you know, an hour, an hour, 15 of your time to chat with us, man. It's, it's been, been great. We, uh, we wish the best, uh, you know, for, for, for crypto Derek, everything coming up, you know, in the, in the year, um, you know, the, the new record is awesome. Definitely. Uh, you know, if, if we have any listeners that haven't had an opportunity to check it out, go stream it, go grab it. However you, you happen to do that. I don't know how people do anything lately. I just started <laughs> buying records again. It's bad news. Good. Real bad no, news. Good, from- good news. 
<laughs> you say no, that, no, but my, he, he my fiance does not say that. He has an addictive personality, and <laughs> yeah. at one point he lived in a studio apartment and had like a thousand records. So it was, it was real time. It was, it was really it was, happening. It was bad. Priority. You even walk around priority. in there. That's yeah. Okay. You could, not only could you not walk around in there, but it had to be kept at like a crisp like sixty degrees because God forbid <laughs> any, anything warped or melted. It was like it was like I, I lost a baby. But uh, um, yeah, yeah. dude, this this episode was dope. This was the Wayne Gretzky episode. Shout out to Wayne Gretzky wherever you yeah. are. Shout out to uh, to Wayne Gretzky Sneak Attack, which is a great song. Uh, by an autopsy. I don't know if you remember an autopsy from back in the day. Um, I remember the name. <laughs> dude, and, and Justin, uh, I know you're listening. I got heat with Justin from an autopsy. He wants to come on the show. He said we haven't reached out to him, so he's <laughs> mad at us. So if you can imagine, we got heat. I don't, I don't want heat, but we got the heat. But yeah. with the heat comes the smoke, and that's fine. And I really, really, like I said, man, this was so cool. I love doing this. You got the Islanders on in the background. We're beating that Rangers dude, ass. There's nothing crazy, better. Like Ninja Star fan. Like that thing looks like oh, it's about dude. to take your head off. Okay, really quick. I this is a <laughs> brand new ceiling fan. It's psychotic. Like, it is. It's so crazy. my like, last one just shit the bed on me. Right, like it, it was a regular ceiling fan. Shit the bed. Insane. And I was like, time for a new one. So I saw this bizarre like modern design fan, and in the box it looked kind of cool. It was like a two blade, and I was like, that's weird, but I kind of like it. It looked way different when I put it up, so I'm going to move my head so you can see it. It spins in, like, everyone looks at it and goes, is this spinning in the wrong direction? Just, just look at this fucking weird fan, man. I hate it. This thing is, like, it. it's, yeah, everyone hates it, but I'm starting, I, first, my first thought was, I hate this thing, but it was already up, and I put a lot of work <laughs> to get it up. So now I love it, because I think it keeps me on my toes. I think it keeps me honest. Keeps, keeps you honest, like, yeah. <laughs> like, that thing is calling the shots, and I don't get to decide, so... <laughs> I'm always at the mercy of the ceiling fan. No, but thanks I mean, for having me, guys. It was, it was a lot of fun. And uh, also, Tony D'Angelo, a few minutes ago, took a, a holding penalty and then had a big old poopy diaper temperature tantrum in the penalty box and got a, a four-minute penalty instead. Because, like, he's so upset about the election that he's taking penalties. And <laughs> he was thinking about Parler when Barzell absolutely fucking crossed him up before. So I'm having a great night. Oh, God, <laughs> yeah, man. Screw, what a, screw uh, Tony D. What a... What an, what an absolute piece of shit. What an yep. absolute piece of shit. And that's yeah. the best way to end this episode because that yeah. guy is a, is a turd sandwich and a half, man. But my, uh, my parting words would be listen to the angel of history by the band Cryptodira and also Tony D'Angelo. Fuck you. You big fucking asshole loser. <laughs> dude, that, that is yeah. that that's the sound bite that does it. So dude, Scott, appreciate you, man. Uh, you, you have a good rest of your night and uh, Mikey. Love you, buddy.
We're back with Gretzky in our hearts, Gretzky in our minds, number 99 forever. He's still alive. He's not gone. I, you know, that, that made me, made me sound like I was eulogizing the, the great, the great Wayne Gretzky, but he's still with us. And you know who else was with us? Scott and Cryptodira is awesome. And I hope you go listen to their new record. It was such a blast getting to chat with him. Uh, it's been a blast watching uh, the Islanders beat on the Rangers. I love that. Uh, but you know what else I, I, I'm going to talk about? Because, I mean, it's big New York news. Uh, it's James Harden, and he's coming to the Brooklyn Nets. And, Mikey, I know you're a humongous Brooklyn Nets fan, so what's what's your, your take on that? Is James Harden the one that's got the big beard? He's got the beard. That's his beard. Dude, I got no takes on that. I, Dude, I, you I, don't I, even... You don't even care about James Harden? You don't care about his beard? No, dude. I I don't know even who's on the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know anything about basketball. Kyrie Irving, James Harden, okay. Kevin Durant. Cool. Good job, Jason. They're gonna... <laughs> Mikey, you you ha- you are a, a very cultured man. But, you know, I thought that you would love this James Harden pickup simply because he's got the fiercest beard of all the beards. No, dude, I, I, like I mentioned, I, a few years ago, cut the cord to cable, so I do not have ESPN at all, so, you know, I, I, I really don't even know those names, and, like, this past weekend, I watched some of the NFL playoff games, Mm -hmm. and, like, Jimmy Graham was on a different team, and, (laughs) and Phillip Rivers wasn't on the Chargers, I was like, what the hell happened? You're just out of the loop, man. I'm so out of the loop. So when, <laughs> when you when you told me that, I was I was just like, okay, whatever. I got no no feelings about that at all. I watch hockey, and I talk about music, and that is pretty much it. And I keep a baby alive. That's my life. Yeah, I I mean that's those are keeping a baby alive is hard enough. The fact that you find time to talk about hockey and music that's a, a staggering accomplishment to me. Um, I'm very very impressed. Shout, shout but, out uh, Caitlin. Shout out, yeah, shout out to Caitlin, uh, Caitlin Ryan, not Mooney anymore. She, you know, and you know, it's really funny. I, I was talking to my fiance and I was like, trying, I forgot Caitlin's like maiden name. And I was like, what the hell was Caitlin's name? And it like took me like five minutes to remember that that's what it was. But you know, Ryan, Ryan flows off the tongue, you know, Caitlin Ryan, you know? Yep. But she probably really, but, really appreciates that. Like, I guess we didn't realize that like Caitlin and Kaylee are like kind of similar names. Uh, it's going to screw everything up. You better change that Dude. kid's name. My mom kept calling Kaylee Caitlin when she was here. No, no. <laughs> so that that's when we realized we were like, oh, they are kind of similar. But listen, man, at this point in your in your life, I mean, you know, she doesn't really speak yet. You, you could you could change it. You could just change her name to Deborah right now. You could do it. <laughs> Deborah, Deborah, exactly. Change your name to Deborah, guys. This has come off the rails. I knew this was going to happen. We're just so pumped that hockey's back. The Islanders are winning. We had a great interview with Scott. I really love it, guys. We've got a couple, like a total, like literally maybe just a couple of our sweet jaw shirts left over at Coast to Coast C two C Hockey dot Flagships gone. We sold. Yeah, out they're something. gone. They're gone. And you know, if you guys didn't get one. You know, you, they're going to be on eBay for like 300 bucks now. You missed your chance. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm sorry to say. 
But uh, no, we're, uh, you know, like I said, the flagships are gone. We got a couple of the Jaws ones left. They're still five bucks. You don't get a better deal than that, like anywhere. You can't even get like a regular T-shirt at Walmart for five bucks. Like just comprehend that. You get a sweet Long Island Jaws inspired bar down breakdown shirt for five dollars. Or you could go to Walmart and get a Hanes beefy tee for six bucks. Do the math, people. Get those shirts before they're gone. C2Chockey.net, Coast to Coast Hockey. As always, we are a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. If you haven't checked out the network, go look at all the other podcast and content creators on there. They're awesome. You're going to find your next favorite podcast, other than, of course, these two homies that are talking to you right now. But 99 episodes, Mikey. Do you have anything to say about this this sweet 99 before we, we go? Yeah, dude. We also got some other cool things cooking, man. And, you know, obviously episode 100 will be out, you know, before we know it. But other than that, we have a YouTube channel that you could subscribe and watch our pretty faces. And then also, I know everyone's abandoning Facebook left and right because of their crazy algorithm and how... You just like keep seeing your crazy aunt's racist posts over and over <laughs> again because that's what I used to do. Like I would just <laughs> keep seeing the dumpster garbage people posting on Facebook, and I was I was really getting ready to abandon it. And then I was like, "What are these Facebook groups?" And we created one, and we've only been doing it for a few days, but I freaking love it. So go and join. The Puck Rock by Bar Down Breakdown Facebook group, where you can only talk about music and hockey. You're not going to see any of that other garbage, just pure, beautiful music and hockey talk with some of your homies. And people are like sharing their music. And it's just like a really awesome, beautiful community that we're building. And I want all of you to be a part of it. So go and join it. You'll have to answer some really difficult questions in order to get in like if you know the rangers suck what do you do wow so Woo. yeah i, I, I listen out all the all the tough questions and also once you get into the group just uh there's a post that uh, i made personally it's about my birthday and <laughs> wanting uh you guys to send me records and uh you should do it because i need records i need more i have a lot i need more uh, so that my, for my birthday, my birthday is January 20th. So when you hear this episode, it's probably going to be like a day before my birthday. So I hope you hear this and you think I got to send Tom a record in the mail. Then you should. And on that note, I love you all. I appreciate every single one of you listening to this podcast. You've been able to let me and Mikey pal around and do what we do for 99 freaking episodes, man. That is just insane to me. Episode 100 is coming up. That's just this huge milestone. So really from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate you guys uh, sticking with us and listening to us and being a part of, uh, of all of this. So we thank you. We love you. And I think that's all we got. So, Michael. All right, Tom. It's been real. Peace be with you. And also with you. Wayne Gretzky. The only man I'd have sex with, Wayne Gretzky I'd be intimate with Wayne Gretzky I think he's kinda sexy 
Wayne Gretzky. I wonder what he looks like naked. Oh, wonder what it would be like to have sex with the great one. Oh, wonder what it would be like to have sex with the least leading scorer, Wayne Gretzky. I know he's a married man, but maybe he'd be attracted to me, Darren Pfeiffer. Stupid American boy, Wayne Gretzky. Very handsome Canadian man. Oh, wonder what it would be like to have sex with the great one. Like to have sex with the least leading score, Wayne Gretzky. I love you, Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. What is up, everybody? Mikey CLT here from Bar Down Breakdown, letting you know that our 100th episode. It's going to be dropping exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network on January 27th. We will be joined by special guest Derek from the amazing pop punk band State Champs. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all our socials so you do not miss any of our amazing episodes. We are so pumped that we have made it to episode 100. And to thank you, we are running an Instagram contest where one lucky winner can win a Steez brand snapback hat. So head over to our Instagram and enter our contest. Also, if you are just hearing about Bar Down Breakdown, make sure you go and check out our 99 other episodes where we have had artists who have been nominated for Grammys, all the way down to artists who are unsigned, where we dive into the crossover between alternative music and hockey. So make sure you go and check out Bar Down Breakdown wherever you listen to podcasts brought to you exclusively by the Hockey Podcast Network.